Welcome to Big Skywriter, the podcast for storytellers of all shapes and sizes. Whether you write novels, teach classes, or just tell your friends what you did last weekend, if you're a storyteller, this podcast is for you. Here's the host of Big Skywriter, Clint Morey. Episode 54. I don't need no floaties. I want to get something straight. I can swim. Now, I'm not a competitive swimmer by any means, but I'm also not a dog paddler. If I jump in a pool, I can usually manage to work my way across the length of the pool to the safety of the side. I really do know how to swim. But I have had a couple of close calls while swimming. I can remember when I went camping with some friends, and there was this river near our campsite. It was more like a stream, but the water was running high, and my friend and I waded into it. There was a strong current, and as we looked downstream, there were a lot of white caps where the water hit against rocks. It looked like the rapids you would see on one of those travel shows. Now, we were a little over knee-deep in the middle of the stream, and if we had a raft... Oh, it looked like it would be a fun ride, but we didn't have a raft. Still, it appeared to be a wonderful adventure calling out to us, so we put our minds together and came up with a plan. We talked about the plan for a good 10 or 15 seconds and decided it was a great idea. I volunteered to go first. I would jump in, and my friend would watch which way the current took me, and then he would follow. Now, my plan was to go feet first and avoid any rocks that might be protruding above the waterline by controlling my direction with my hands and my arms. I was sure it would be something like sitting on a sled and going down a snowbank. Now, just a note, if I ever tell you that I'm sure of something, you might consider other options. Well, I set off on my thrilling wilderness adventure. I jumped in feet first and let the current push and pull me downstream. It was a fun ride, and things went just as planned for about five seconds. And just as I was letting the current pull me around a large rock, it suddenly pulled me under. I mean under the water. I'm talking about bouncing off the bottom of the river. I tried to push myself to the surface, but the current was too strong and kept slamming me to the bottom. I was getting scraped and hammered by the rocks on the riverbed, but I had a more immediate concern. It was called breathing. I had planned to glide along the surface of the water. I had not planned on being submerged for an extended period of time. I twisted and squirmed and tried desperately to reach the surface, but the river had other plans. Each time I slammed into the bottom of the river, I thought this just might be the end. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't gain control to break free of the current. It looked like it might be over for me, but I kept trying. I finally managed to get an arm above the surface, but I couldn't get my face above water. And I don't know about you, but I don't breathe well through my arm. Just then my arm hit something. I didn't know what it was, but I grabbed on tight with my hand and my body shot up out of the water and I found myself clinging to a low-hanging tree branch. I could breathe. I was alive. I thanked God for making trees, especially trees whose branches hung over rivers. 
I yelled back to my friend not to jump in the river, uh, but I didn't need to warn him because he already figured out our great idea wasn't all that great when he saw me disappear underneath the water for an extended period of time. Well, that was my first swimming close call. But there was another event that I remember quite clearly. You see, I'm a Southern California boy. For me, that meant I spent a lot of time at the ocean, and I have to admit, I loved it. Sometimes I would get up early and drive about 20 minutes to get to Huntington Beach, and then I would run along the smooth sand near the water, which definitely beat running on the concrete sidewalks in my neighborhood. It felt good. And if I wanted a tougher workout, all I had to do was run in the dry sand. Talk about a leg workout. It was great. Sometimes my friends and I used to play tackle football where the field was water. And as the tide went in and out, you had to adjust your movements to avoid going out of bounds. You also had to be aware of the waves coming in. That was great fun also. Sometimes at night, I would just drive down to the beach and sit on the sand and watch the waves crashing into the shore. When the moon was up and the stars were out and the breaking waves almost glistened, it was beautiful and relaxing. Now, I lived during the time that surfing and surfers became a thing. Now, I couldn't afford a surfboard, but that didn't keep me from surfing. I did what was called body surfing. I would wade out to where the good waves were breaking. Sometimes that meant diving through several waves breaking close to shore until I got to a good spot, and then I would wait. I might be able to stand up before the wave reached me, or I might be swimming in place until the wave arrived. When I saw the wave coming, I would begin a power swim. I swam as hard and as fast as I could, and if I timed it right, the wave would catch me, pick me up, and I could literally glide along the surface of the wave, just like a surfer on a board. It was a marvelous feeling. Now, one of the things that you had to learn if you spent any amount of time in the surf, was this phenomena known as riptides or undertoes. On busy weekends, the lifeguards would raise flags to warn people to get out of the surf if the riptides were too strong, but I didn't like to go on busy weekends, so I had to learn to recognize riptides on my own. And I have to admit, I got pretty good at reading the way waves broke and the way water pulled back underneath them. Pretty good. Not great, just pretty good. Unfortunately, one day my riptide recognition skills were not good enough. I had positioned myself for considerable distance from the shoreline. I could feel the undertow on my legs, but it wasn't too bad. So I waited for a wave to come in and carry me to shore. And then I saw it. It was a perfect wave. As the wave came close, I dove in and began swimming toward shore, waiting to be caught by the power of the wave. But an interesting thing happened. Instead of getting closer to shore, I was being pulled down and pulled backwards towards the open sea. I thought I was swimming toward shore, but the current was pulling me away from shore. I went into my power swim, but it didn't work. The current pulled me right over the perfect wave and I was still going backwards towards open water. I couldn't stand up anymore. I was too far out. So I went into my superpower, everything I've got swimming mode. This is where I wish I would have been a world-class swimmer. Maybe I could have worked my way back to shore, but 
all I was able to do while swimming my hardest was kind of hold my position. That was better than going backwards, but it was not getting me to safety and I was getting tired. I could even see some kids playing at the shoreline, but they were too far away. Despite my best efforts, I was once again going backwards. I wasn't sure how this was going to end, but then God intervened. A wave that I had not even been aware of came up behind me, picked me up, and carried me towards the shore. It dumped me on the hard sand, but I didn't care. It was solid sand, and I was able to run to the shoreline. I was done with body surfing for the day. Now, there is a point to these two stories. I'd like to share a story with you about Jesus. One time, when Jesus was teaching, several people in the crowd tried to bring children to him, but Jesus' disciples stopped them. The work Jesus was doing was much too important to bother him with children. When Jesus saw what was happening, he reprimanded his disciples. Let the children come to me, Jesus said, and do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of God. Jesus had a special place in his heart toward children. Which brings a question to my mind. Is our society hindering children from coming to Jesus? Most of our nation's schools are designed to be places where children will not be exposed to their Savior. They will not learn about God. They will not learn about Jesus. And if anyone who works in a public school even tries to share that God loves children and Jesus came to forgive them for their sins so that they can spend eternity with God, well, that person would probably be fired on the spot. Does that qualify as hindering children from coming to Jesus? And do you work in such a school? Do you send your children to such a school? If you pay taxes, you're probably paying for such a school. Does that mean that you're paying people to hinder children from coming to Jesus? But Jesus had more to say about the way people treated children. Not only did Jesus tell people to let children come to me, but he also warned those who sought to corrupt children. In Luke chapter 17, he said, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Now, millstones, if you're not familiar with them, were large stones used to grind wheat and other grains. They often weighed several hundred pounds. And if you're reading the transcript right now, you'll see a photograph of some millstones. Jesus warns those who work to corrupt the precious souls of children. Jesus says they will pay a frightful price for their efforts. Think of being taken out to the ocean, having a 200-pound rock tied around your neck, and then being thrown overboard. As bad as that sounds, Jesus says it will be worse for those who lead children into sin. Now, I'd like you to look around. Whether it's grooming children, become sexual objects, holding family-friendly drag shows, ordering workers not to say Merry Christmas, persuading children to try to change the gender God gave them, teaching them to hate others because of their skin color, or refusing to let them hear about God who created them and loves them, our society, through its schools, libraries, social media, entertainment, personalities, is actively working to corrupt our children. Now, our society will pay a heavy price 
for our sins. But I would like to encourage you not to focus on others right now. Focus on you. Are you doing anything today that is hindering children from coming to Jesus? Are you doing anything that encourages children to sin? Remember what Jesus said. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Now the Bible teaches, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Perhaps you have hindered children from coming to Jesus or even encouraged children to engage in sin. If you have, there's a terrible price to pay. The Bible says the wages of sin is death which is just a nice way of saying eternal punishment in a place called hell. Fortunately, however, we have a God who understands our weaknesses and our struggles and has made a way for us to survive the rapids and riptides of life, even if we have made bad decisions. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Now, if you find yourself in the rapids and riptides of life, turn to the God who loves you. He will forgive you and give you eternal life. I'd like to go back to that first story I told you about my attempt to float down a river. Imagine if, as I was bouncing along the bottom of that river, I strapped a 200-pound millstone around my neck. Do you think I would have been able to pull free from the rapids, even if I was able to grab an overhanging branch? Or consider my efforts at body surfing. If, while I was swimming as hard as I could to keep from being pulled out to sea, if I had a millstone around my neck, do you think I would have been able to work my way to shore, even with the help of a wave? Perhaps I really do need help to survive in this culture that we are living in today. Here are some of the resources I found interesting in recent days. I would encourage you to check them out. One is an article about Duke University who is refusing to give a 14-year-old girl a kidney transplant because she didn't take the COVID shots. Another one is uh, an article called European Researchers Prove Some Science is Better Left to Fiction. And it's an interesting idea about these guys who were digging up and finding old viruses that they estimated were thousands or even tens of thousands of years old, and they were trying to bring them back to life just to see what would happen. Well, that's great. No one would be immune to those things. Uh, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to do? And then another article, or it's not an article, it's an interview, and I would encourage you to check out. It's called A Levi's Exec Who Sacrificed Everything to Stand Up for Kids. And it's an interview with the former pre brand president of Levi Strauss and Company and just sharing how difficult it was to work in a company where you had to believe a certain thing, the woke culture. You had to. And if you didn't believe it, your career was at risk. So please feel free to check those out. I think you'd find them interesting. But before I go, I'd like to share a blessing with you from the Old Testament. May the Lord bless and protect you. 
May the Lord's face radiate with joy because of you. May he be gracious to you, show you his favor, and give you his peace. Number 6, 24 to 26. Until the next time, be the reason someone smiles today. Thank you.